are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. The text tonight is the 23rd Psalm. I think this is my wife's favorite sermon, Psalm 23. I'm going to emphasize the first word of the psalm, the definite article. It's in capital letters. I'm going to read it, The Lord is my shepherd. He is the Lord. He's the one of whom Jeremiah wrote. This is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord is my shepherd. But I'm going to emphasize the word Lord and read it, the Lord is my shepherd. He is Lord. The shepherd, the good shepherd, is Lord. He's Lord of earth and Lord of heaven and Lord of all. One day, three worlds will join together in acclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. For every knee shall bow things on earth in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord is my shepherd. But in the original Hebrew, there's only one word. It's the word we call Jehovah. We don't know how to pronounce that word. Scholars think perhaps Yahweh is a better pronunciation. We don't know how to pronounce it because in the old Hebrew, there were no vowel points, only consonants in the written Hebrew. The vowel sound was contained in the words as they were spoken, but the vowels were not written. So the pronunciation of Hebrew was passed on from one generation to another. It was preserved by tradition. Until in the 6th century after Christ, some scholars at Tiberias, known as Matharites, uh, discover, invented a system of vowel points to put with the Hebrew consonants and preserve the pronunciation of that ancient language. But when they came to this word, they did not know what vowels to put with it, because it was never used, it was never pronounced, even when the scriptures were read. They substituted the word Adonai, which means Lord. So the scholars took from that word Adonai the vowels with it and placed them with the four consonants, which form the word we call Jehovah, and derived that pronunciation. I tell you this to emphasize the fact that this is a sacred name. It's the name of God in his covenant relation with his people. God, who appeared in the Old Testament, in the so-called Theophanies, who appeared and talked face to face with the patriarchs, God who manifests himself, the covenant-making God. And when you find that word Jehovah, or the word Lord, in capital letters, all four letters capital, that is the same personality, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, as he appeared in his pre-incarnate revelation. So I do no violence to this verse when I read it, Jesus is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. But I shall emphasize the verb to be and read it, Jesus is my shepherd. That makes it emphatic, he is my shepherd, and that puts it in the present tense. He's going to be my shepherd, but he's now my shepherd, 
And yet you'll notice that that word is in italics. It's not in the original Hebrew. It is implied. This is a nominal sentence. What you have is Jesus, or the Lord, Jehovah, my shepherd. But the verb is implied. If the verb were written, it would not be in the present tense, because there is no present tense in Hebrew. Everything is past the future. There is no present. You see, the word tense means time. There is no present time. You say now, but that's gone. Now, that's gone. You can't put your finger on now. Time, time is transitory. Time is passing. It's never stationary. Now, that's gone. Only that which is eternal is present. But Jesus is eternal. He is my shepherd. In the Greek we have the present tense. And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He is my shepherd. I emphasize the pronoun. He's mine. He may be yours. I believe if I'd been the only sinner who ever lived, he would have died for me, just as he died for us all. And if you had been the only sinner, I believe he would have died for you. He died for all. All have not been saved, but he died for all. Some reject him. The atonement of Christ is sufficient for all. It's efficient for only those who believe. He is my shepherd. I emphasize the last word. He's a shepherd. He's the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd who looks after the sheep. He's the chief shepherd who one day will come to reward the under-shepherds. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. Dr. Jones used to tell about the little boy who said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. But that's not a bad way to quote it. I used to wonder when I was a little child why he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why did not want the Lord to be a shepherd? Well, in my child's mind, I did not understand what he was saying. He was saying, I shall not be in want. I shall not be in need. The Lord is my shepherd. I learned early in my Christian experience that I did not have to want for the daily needs of life. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I went through college back in the Great Depression, back in the early days of Bob Jones College. I started a school, a college in another school and transferred and graduated with Dr. Jones in the first four-year graduating class. But uh, the college was organized, you know, in 1927. And the Great Depression came in 1929. And I, I was a, uh, I, I was a wor working student. I worked, but uh, still I didn't make enough to get through school. The fact is I worked in a laundry every night after supper for 15 cents an hour for two hours and an hour before breakfast every morning. But you could not go through college on 45 cents a day in those days. My father's business went on the rocks, and he said, Son, I can't help you. I'm sorry, I, we've sent you to college two years, but he said, I can't help you anymore because I just can't do it. Well, I went out to preach the first summer after I'd been at Bob Jones for a year. Uh, my people thought I was crazy. I had an opportunity to work at home, but I went out from place to place trusting God. I went over to Mississippi, and I was selling Bob Jones magazines. We'd sell a magazine for a dollar. I was supposed to send 75 cents to the college, and 25 cents of that would accrue to my account. The other 25 cents would be would 
uh, I would use for expenses. And uh, I sent in all the money I had. Uh, I was over in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, and I had 25 cents. Uh, I didn't have any left. I was planning to get down to Aberdeen in time for prayer meeting that night. And uh, I would sell a subscription and have some money and spend the night and get some food. And I was catching rides out on the highway, and I got in a rain, got soaking wet. I got down to Aberdeen. It was, uh, uh, I was wet and dirty, and I just couldn't go to prayer meeting like that. I planned to go to prayer meeting and sell a subscription, make arrangements for a service the next night. I would go into town, I'd borrow a church, and... I'd advertise the meeting all day long and then preach. I didn't have enough sense to take an offering. But I'd go around town the next day and take subscriptions. But I got in there dirty and I sold my belt. I had a, some suspenders and I sold my belt uh, to a boy for 15 cents and bought some buns and drank some water and let them swell. That was my supper. Went around to the depot to spend the night. And in the middle of the night, or at 11, 11 o'clock rather, the... They rolled up the sidewalk and turned out the lights in town. And the marshal came in and told me I'd have to get out of town. He said I was a vagrant. If he'd said fragrant, I wouldn't have argued with him. But he said I was a vagrant and I'd have to leave town. There was no way to leave town. There was no traffic. So I walked off down the railroad, slept in a pump house, pillowed my head on the old precious promised Bible I was reading when I found Christ as my Savior. Early in the morning, a man came in to turn on the steam. He was dressed like Tom Mix. He was an old-time movie cowboy. Had on black uh, uh, clothes and high-heeled shoes and a ten-gallon hat, and he had a six-shooter. He punched me with his foot and woke me up. He'd been out playing poker all night, and he'd been drinking. I got up and got my pillow and led him to Jesus. Got on his knees and wept and said he'd trust Jesus. And then he said he'd go home and tell his wife. Said he had joined in her church and said she was a Christian. Said she'd have breakfast for him. He forgot to invite me. But I walked out and looked up at the morning star and I was the happiest boy on earth. Uh, I, I can't tell you how thrilled I was. And I went down on the highway and caught a ride home. Got home to Birmingham at two o'clock in the afternoon. Mother was out in the backyard hanging up clothes. There was a pot of butter beans seething on the old wood stove. I sat down and ate every bean in the pot before I went out to kiss my mother hello. <laughs> got some fresh clothes and started out again. And I got down in Florida. Clifford Lewis had set up a citywide revival in Panama City, Florida, up over the firehouse. Place up there had seen about 50 people. And all the preacher boys were supposed to be down there to uh, hold that citywide meeting. I remember one boy named Graf Parrish preached to about four saintly ladies. Mrs. McKenzie was one of them. And uh, the Bible teacher at Bob Jones and, and to us preacher boys one morning on hell. But uh, <laughs> while I was down there, I got a letter from my mother saying, Pastor Baker has arranged for you to hold a revival meeting at Newburgh, Alabama. I was so thrilled I went up to home to find out where Newburgh was. And uh, it was supposed to start Sunday night. I went out there. We had a wonderful meeting. I remember I got $21 in the offering. But we had a great revival. I started Sunday night, and I preached on I can do all things through Christ. That was my first sermon. I had only three sermons when I started that meeting. I preached the next morning on one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. <laughs> and that night I preached on it is finished. <laughs> 
But I got up Tuesday and prepared a sermon. It was not well prepared. But we went out in the Cedar Grove to pray. And old Pastor Camel, the man who led Tom Malone to Christ, knew how to pray. He prayed heaven down. I knew we were going to have a great service that morning. When I stood up to preach, I said, now let's have a few testimonies, please. And they got up to testify, and one man said he had been superintendent of the Sunday school for 46 years, old brother Watson. He said, Jesus went with me through the Civil War. And he said, I'm standing on Jordan's stormy bank, looking over into the promised land. He called it Jordan's stormy bank. And he said, when you have your revival next year, I'll be over Jordan. He sat down. I said, we'll have one more testimony. And the funniest man you ever heard of got up. Funniest looking man. Uh, he was homely. So homely. And uh, he had on a little green suit, two sizes too small for him. He had an old-fashioned cap. He was twisting that cap. And he said, this is the first time I ever made a testify in my life. And I bit my tongue to keep from laughing. <laughs> he was so homely. Looked to me like God made him as ugly as he could and then scared him. <laughs> he said, this is the first time I ever made a testify in my life, and I bit my tongue. But he said, my little baby died the other day, and I want to be saved. I said, come on, friend. He came, knelt old time morning's bench. His wife got up and said, I'd like to be saved. Well, I said, maybe somebody else would like to be saved. Let's sing an invitation. We sang, and seven people came. One man said, I got right with God last night. He said, uh, I've been so far backslidden. He said, I've held a 14-year-old boy in my lap to keep the preacher from calling me leading prayer. But he said, I got right last night in the service. <laughs> and uh, then we, we had a, an altar service. It was time to close the meeting. And I said, all right, would Brother Watson come stand down here with Pastor Campbell? I'm going to stand here. If you're going to meet Brother Watson over Jordan, I want you to come shake his hand. They got in a pattern, and they started around the little church, and and a lady went to an old reed organ, began to play, and they sang on Jordan, Stormy Bank. And, and I didn't know it, but there was another old soldier there who wouldn't speak to Brother Watson, and he wouldn't speak to him. They had not spoken in years, but he was going to heaven, so he came down. And he started to walk past Brother Watson to shake Brother Camel's hand. Now, this was an opportunity for him to show that man. But he couldn't let that pass without checking on it. And he turned and looked at Brother Watson, and for the first time in years, they looked each other in the eye. And they just froze. They stood there for a moment, and then they opened their arms and fell in each other's arms and began to shout. And heaven came down, glory filled my soul. We had revival. Then I, I had another meeting to open. But I went back to, I used all that money to pay debts I'd made that summer, or the year before. And I stepped on the campus with 17 cents in my pocket, and I said, Dr. Bob, I don't have any money, but God's called me to preach. And uh, I want to stay here four weeks and pay my bill at the end of the first four weeks. So he gave me that special dispensation. And I ran one month behind all through the year. And that was all right. He agreed to that. But it was Saturday afternoon, and my bill was due on Monday. And I didn't have any money. I had to have $40 by Monday. I sat in my room reading the Bible, 
And I turn to that promise, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I turn back to the 23rd Psalm and read, I shall not want. And I crossed my foot on my knee, and there was a hole in the bottom of my shoe. I began to fool with it, and before I knew it, I'd punched it through. <laughs> I couldn't hold back the tears. I sat there, a big old college man, weepy. And I picked up my Bible and looked at that promise again. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And it shone like jewels through my tears. I said, forgive me, God, I don't have anything. But my Father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds and silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm the child of a king. The child of a king. With Jesus, my Savior, I'm the child of a king. I got up and went down to borrow money. And I got down there and the bank had closed. I mean, it had gone broke. And uh, I went around to see a friend of mine. I didn't tell him my situation. Dr. Leckin, he had been kind to me. He asked me to come preach for him the next day. He's pastor of the First Presbyterian Church. And I went down to preach. And we had the doxology. I shined the tops of my shoes, put cardboards in the bottom, and kept my feet on the floor. Nobody saw the hole, but Dr. Leckenby didn't see it, but God saw it. And Dr. Leckenby asked me to step outside, and, and then an usher called me in. He said, we took a little offering. We hope you won't mind. The usher handed him a slip of paper, and it was $45. I had asked God for $40 from somewhere, and there it was. And I went through college like that. God supplied the needs and, and proved that he is a shepherd. I'll tell you so many wonderful stories. Uh, and not only my own, but many of my fellow students went through like that. And by the way, the same spirit prevailed down there. I remember that first or second year there. Uh, we all gave our Christmas presents to the college. We said we wouldn't give presents to anyone. We are going to help the college because it was in need. And how God blessed that spirit and has through the years. But I shall not want for the day leaves of life. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He... He leadeth me beside the still waters. That has been translated waters of peace. There is no peace without Christ, the Prince of Peace. From the time I was a little boy out in the country going from the Strawberry Hill to the swimming pool and back to the Strawberry Hill, I had no peace till Jesus came into my heart. A shrill whistle in the night would startle me out of my sleep, and I thought Gabriel was sounding the trumpet. But when Jesus came, he brought a peace into my heart, a deep, settled peace the world knows nothing about. I shall not want for peace. I shall not want for restoration. Have you ever been closer to God than you are tonight? Then you need restoration. I stood up one morning and preached as if I were beating the air. And I'd rather be anything than a preacher without power. I'd rather be a bookie than a preacher without power. I'd do more good. And I got in my car and drove out into the woods and got down on my knees. And I pick up, picked up a stick and dug a little hole in the ground. And I said, God, I've been so selfish and mean. And I've had some, I've been so carnal. And I confess sins. And I said, God, I'm going to leave my sins right here. In this little grave. And I covered it over. Put my hand down on the hillock and I said, I'm going to leave them here. 
And God said, you can't leave them there. I said, why, God? He said, they're not there. Well, I said, where are they? He said, I put them in the bottom of the sea. I flew over the Bronson Deep some years ago. I'd been down to Jamaica to preach. And I came back and uh, the pilot announced that we were 29,000 feet above the surface. And I said, praise God. A friend by my side said, what is it? Well, I said, we're 11 miles from dirt. It's the farthest I've ever been from dirt. But I said, our sins are down there under all those trillions of tons of briny water. That's the deepest point in the Atlantic. Have you ever thought of the dimensions of God's mercy? He's put our sins in the bottom of the sea. That's the depth of it. The height of it, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. What about the breadth of it? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The length of it, you will have to measure that with time. For his mercy endureth forever. But our sins are not in the bottom of the sea. He said, I've blotted them out as a thick cloud. So I stood up and there was a thick cloud in the sky and I looked at it. And it was sailing. And I said, show me God. Now, I don't go by signs, but this is the word of God. As a thick cloud, I've blotted out thy transgressions. And as that cloud began to sail across the sky, it grew smaller. And after a while, it was about the size of a man's hand. And I said, show me, God. And it vanished away. And I went back to my car singing, God has blotted them out. I'm happy and glad and free. God has blotted them out. I looked in Isaiah to see. Chapter 44, 22 and 3. He blotted them out, and now I can shout, for that means me. He restoreth my soul. They tell us that a sheep will leave the flock every day and go to the shepherd for a little pat on the head, a little caress. Perhaps the psalmist had that in mind when he said, He restoreth my soul. You need daily restoration. Every day you need to start out with God. The psalmist said, in the morning, I will lift mine heart unto thee and will look up. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When I was here at Bob Jones University for 12 years, I did so much counseling. Students were sent to me for counseling, and they announced that the students were to come to, the, to me for counsel. And uh, I suppose 95% of them, and of course in evangelistic work, through all these years, I've counseled thousands of young people. And I suppose that 75% of the Christian young people come with this one problem. How can I know God's will for my life? I always say you don't have to know his will. Be pliable in his hands, and he'll fit you into it. If he gives you a Macedonian call, if he gives you a distant vision, be true to it. Don't be disobedient to the heavenly vision. But when Paul received the call to Macedonia, he was at Troas. And the very next day, he embarked for Macedonia. God usually leads by opening doors in front of us. Ask him for wisdom, special wisdom. And in the light of that wisdom, make your decision. Unless God gives you a deep conviction that you're called to do a specific thing, then make your preparation. And you'll find, perhaps before you complete that preparation, that God has fit you into a, into a pattern that he had all worked out for you. 
There's a goal you didn't see out there toward which God has been bringing you. And you can look back and say, as the prophet of old, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he led me out and set me down and lifted me up, as Ezekiel could say. He, 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 I shall not want for guidance. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. My mother used to say, I hope with pardonable pride, Son, remember who you are and be a good boy. And I used to try to be good for the sake of a family name. But for his name's sake, he leads us in paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Notice the psalmist changes persons. He's been saying, he leadeth me. But he says, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's a very present help in time of trouble. I've had to walk in dark valleys many times. And I found him so near and I found comfort. Or even in the valley of danger, I will fear no evil. I've had to walk through valleys of danger. You can't preach the word of God without being in danger at times. I remember years ago I went up to Kentucky to hold meetings between two mining, two, two mining camps. And when I got off the train, the old pastor met me. He was 72 years of age. He said, hurry and get in the car. There's going to be trouble if that gang... Meet you. And I got in the car, went to the pastor's home. They had a prayer meeting there that night. They'd pray, oh, Lord, don't let Brother Parker get killed. <laughs> right. Everybody who prayed said, oh, God, please don't let Brother Parker get killed. And all through their prayers, you could hear my fervent amen. <laughs> they said they shot a fellow on the church steps last Wednesday night. One old lady said he died in my parlor and he was dead before his feet got cold. <laughs> Why, they said they hired a man to run the commissary here who's killed 14 people because they felt that he could take care of the situation. And uh, they said there's a murder around here every few weeks. They said the evangelist who preached here last year stepped out of the pulpit one night to speak to a fellow and a man shot at him and he went back to the pulpit. And there's a place out here seven miles away called Nelson. A man shot through the window and killed an evangelist. And the same bullet that killed him struck his wife and killed her. And uh, they'd say, Lord, don't let Brother Park get killed. I'd say, Amen. <laughs> and that went on, you know. We start the meeting and people came from every direction. as before television. They packed out the church every night. People stand in the back every night. I told my wife, if anybody shoots me, it's going to be that guy that stands back there with a snarl on his lip every night. And they had pistols. They carried pistols. One night, I left the parsonage. My wife and, and old pastor and his wife had gone on down to the church. And I was playing with the pastor's dog, and I turned him over on the back and ran. and slammed the gate behind me. But as running, I had a roll of dimes in my pocket, a saving dimes. And a fellow walked up and pulled out a pistol. He didn't get it level on me. He got it along here. But I got the drop on him with that roll of dimes. He said, hold on here. And I turned around and said, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> he said, is Mr. Fleming at home? I said, you might go down there and see. And I kept him covered while he went down the road. 
And I turned around and went to the church as hard as I could go. <laughs> and that night, they threw stones all over the church. And somebody turned out the lights, and dear old Pastor Wade went back to turn them on. They took hold of him, threw him down on the floor, and got his wallet and his fountain pen. And he got the lights on. They came in the church, and he told me about it. And I'd had enough. I walked up to the pulpit, and I just lifted the pulpit aside, and I said, They're praying around here, don't let Brother Parker get killed. I said, You can't kill me. I'm going to live as long as God lives. You can kill my body, but I'm, you can't kill me. And I said, I'm not afraid of you bullies. Around here with your pistols pointing towards your heels, they're liable to go off and blow your brains out. <laughs> I said, I'm not afraid of you. Do you hear, Bob? And I pointed at that guy. I thought he was going to shoot me. I was ready to die. I, I was righteously indignant, but a little humanly mad. <laughs> and you know what happened? I preached about 15 minutes and gave him an invitation, and that fellow came down the aisle, and behind him came another, and behind him came another, and I saw 700 people come to Jesus Christ in that place. I stayed there four weeks longer, and, and then went up to Michigan for 10 weeks and came back, and they said, we've had services every night, and souls have been saved. They said 100 men left here on trucks this afternoon to go to Paducah to pick strawberries because the mountain mines are closed temporarily. And every man carried his Bible. We saw God work. You don't have to be afraid. I shall not fear. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. I shall not want for victory. I know what that means too. My cup runneth over. I shall not want for joy. I shall not want for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thou anointest my head with oil. If you want the Spirit of God to fill you, just yield to the Spirit of God. He's in you if you are a believer, and he'll fill you. I shall not want for the filling of the Spirit of God. My cup runneth over. I shall not want for goodness. For like dogs after sheep, goodness and mercy shall chase me. They chase me all the days of my life. Goodness, mercy, snapping at my heels. Mercy is God's withholding judgment we deserve. If we had our just deserts, we'd all be in hell. His goodness is bestowing upon us blessings we can never deserve, and we've had both all the days of our lives. And I shall not want for a home in heaven. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is he your shepherd? Are you a wandering sheep? There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away in the mountains, dark and drear, away from the tender shepherd's care. Perhaps the shepherd has come after you tonight, and he'll put you on his shoulder, the place of strength, and bring you back. If you've never known him as your shepherd, he is also the door to the sheepfold. Come in and find pasturage. Come in and find life. For he's the way, the truth, and the life. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.